Greetings and welcome back to Book of the Year with a weekly shiur in which we investigate topics in Tanakh. And this year we are continuing from what we were studying last year, which is the life of Avraham. And uh, we are now somewhat ankle deep, shall we say, in the story of the Akedah. As I mentioned last week, we're going to take quite a few sessions to make our way through this most momentous and dramatic passage. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom, and I'm delighted to be studying with you via this medium. Uh, back in the day, we used to study in our shul in Young Israel Century City on Shabbat afternoon, but now as a result of the COVID restrictions, we actually are available, uh, a- able to include people from all over the world, and people can listen when it is convenient and view the source sheet as is convenient on their computer. Uh, we uh, in last week's uh, shiur we looked at the opening line of the uh, story of the Akedah and focused on the issue of achar hadvarim ha'ela. Today I'd like to look at the beginning of pasuk bet. Uh, believe it or not, Pasuk Bet itself is going to take us three sessions. Uh, today we're going to look at the line, Kachnat bin Chad Yechidcha et Yitzchak. And Velech Lechal Eretz HaMoriah will be somewhat secondary in this year. And next week we're going to focus on Eretz HaMoriah and what that may mean. So instead of reading through the entire Akedah story, we already did that last week. Uh, the, uh, the translation is available on last week's source sheet. You can access the webpage for that. Uh, but I highlighted the part of the Pasuk that is vital for what we're doing today. Uh, and a translation, Vayomer, God said to Avram, Kach na, and the word na in proper biblical Hebrew typically means now. So now take Bincha, your son, Yechidcha, your only son, Asher Ahavta, the one that you love, et Yitzchak. And that's, of course, a phrase that should resonate for us, and we'll see how it resonates in the Midrash. El Eretz HaMoriah, take him to the land of Moriah, and the rest of the Pasuk is, of course, take him up for an Olah, what that may mean. We saw at least three different explanations on one of the mountains that I tell you. Okay, so the first thing to look at is one Pasuk at the bottom of the page, which, of course, is the very first Pasuk where God speaks to Avram that we have a record of, and in it we have, again, the phrase Lech Lecha, just as we have here at the end, Lech Lecha, and it's Mi'artzecha, Moladtecha, Mi'beit Avicha. So leave your land, your family, Moladet in Tanakh means family, not birthplace, Mi'beit Avicha, and your father's house, El Ha'artzecha, to the land that I will show you. Look at how much that parallels our phrase. Kachna et bincha, your son, et yechidcha, your only son, asher hafta, that you love, parallel to me'artzecha, moladcha, betavicha. Three terms of endearment from which you must separate yourself. And then he's identified by name at Yitzchak. And again, lech lecha. And where are you going to go? El Eretz HaMoriah, to the land of Moriah. And I'll tell you a mountain there where you're going to offer him up. And here it's El Ha'art HaShoreka, to the land that I will show you. Again, going to an unknown destination. Uh, it, there is even, possibly, we'll talk about this next week, an association between the word Moriah and Asher Areka. But we'll leave that for later for right now. Today we're just going to do a survey of several of the commentators, uh, starting with the Midrash and then looking at some Rishonim and Acharonim to see how they interpret these particular phrases at Binchat Yechidcha Shahavtat Yitzchak. The Midrash, first of all. Midrash Breshit Rabbah, you can see here uh, in uh, paragraph uh, 55. Amarlo, 
So God said, Bivakasha mimcha. Now we have to comment on this in a moment. Kachna et pincha. Now where do they get Bivakasha? So the answer is in something that's a methodological point that we have to make at this, at this point, is the rabbis were fully aware that biblical Hebrew and rabbinic Hebrew were not the same. Rabbi Yochanan famously says in Masachat Avodah Zarah, Lashon Mikra Lachud, Lashon Chachamim Lachud. They use different languages, different phrases. In Tanakh, we refer to the Shemesh, and in the rabbinic, rabbinic phrasing, we refer to the sun as the Chama. In the Tanakh, we refer to a tree as an Eitz. In rabbinic writing, it's an Ilan, and so on and so forth. The word Na in rabbinic Hebrew means please. And it may be a short form of the word Ana. Na in Tanakh, as the Ibn Ezra points out numerous times, means now. The rabbis, however, are never reticent to interpret, midrashically, to interpret a phrase in Tanakh using the rabbinic meaning of the word for midrashic purposes. And I'll give you an example of that right away. In the very famous scene where Moshe asks God to forgive the people, and uh, Hashem tells him to go into the cave, and I'm going to put my finger over the, my hand over the crevice of the cave, the opening of the cave, and I'm going to pass it in front of you, and that's the Yud Gimel Minot Rachamim. It's prefaced with the line that we're all familiar with, Vayavor Adonai Alpana Vayikra. God passed in front of him and declared, Adonai Adonai El Rachum Hanun, etc. Chachamim have a fascinating take on this Vayavor. Rabbi Yochanan in Masachet Rosh Hashanah, towards the end of the first parak, says, If it didn't say this in the text, you couldn't say it. Meaning, it's so incredulous and incredible that, um, that you couldn't make something like this up. If the text didn't say it, you couldn't say it. And what's that? It teaches that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrapped himself in a talit like a shliach tzibur and showed Moshe this is how you lead the prayer and you ask me for forgiveness by reciting these Yud Gimel Midot. Where did they get that from? Well, the answer is they got it from the word Vaya'avor. Now, Vaya'avor in biblical Hebrew means to pass, to cross in front of. Vaya'avru atayardain. But La'avor in rabbinic Hebrew has a second meaning. And it's associated with La'avor lifnei hateva to pass in front of the lectern, which is when somebody is a shleach tzibur, is the leader of the tefillah. And so Chazal, Rabbi Yochanan here, takes the word vayavor in the text, which means past, applies the rabbinic spin to it, and then creates a midrash of HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrapping himself like a shleach tzibur. The same thing happens in our midrash here. Even though the word na means now in biblical Hebrew, in rabbinic Hebrew it means please, and so therefore, for midrashic purposes, we read God is saying to Moshe, to Avram, please take your son. Let's see what that's about. And in an earlier Midrash, not in this paragraph, um, the Midrash makes the claim that he said, please, because he said, I want everyone in the world to recognize, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, to recognize that my selection of you is justified. I'm on the hot seat because people are claiming that I'm just showing favoritism and that to show that my selection of you is a justified selection, I need you to please go do this act. So it's a please. Uh, parenthetically, in, uh, in this week's parasha, Parashat Bo, uh, we find the same thing. 
that before Makat Bechorot, HaKadosh Baruch Hu reminds Moshe of the promise going back to the Sneh, which was that Bnei Yisrael are going to request or borrow, depending on how you interpret Vishalu, uh, from the Egyptians gold, silver, and fancy clothes. And in this context, he says, Daber na ha'am, and which means, go speak now to the people. The, the Midrash, which is quoted in Masachat Brachot at the end of the first parak, says, Na means please, again, rabbinic Hebrew. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, please, I'm in the hot seat with Avraham. I promised Avraham that his children would be slaves for a long time and oppressed and that they would leave with great wealth. And he's going to turn to me and say, well, you fulfilled the first part, you didn't fulfill the second part. So please ask Bnei Israel to help me out and have them go borrow or request the gold and silver so they can leave with great wealth. That, of course, is very far from pshat. But again, midrashically, Chachamim are willing to use biblical Hebrew and read the words as a rabbinic meaning for the midrash. And the same thing happens here. Amarlo kach na et bincha. So he says, please take your son. And now we find out about all of these words. Bincha yechidcha asherahavta yitzchak. And we're going to see this in Rashi later also with a slight, with an important variation. Amarle train beninitli. I have two sons, Ezeban, which son? I have Ishmael and I have Yitzchak. Amarlo, and we spoke about this earlier, is that this gives the, gives the impression of Ishmael still being in the camp and still being in the, in the family. And he's an, of an active choice. And we saw that last week in Achar Dvaimaela and Rashi's comment that Ishmael and Yitzchak are talking to each other. Ed Yechidcha, so God defines it further, which is, okay, your only son. Amarlo, Zeachidimo, Zeachidimo. This is my only son with Sarai, and this is my only son with Hagar. Amarlo Asherahavta, the one you love. Amarlo eat tchumin b'meyaya, which may mean, do you think I have boundaries in my heart? Meaning, I love them both. Now, the word ahavta is a pregnant word here, and we have to discuss it for a moment. What is le'ehov, and its, con- and, and its antonym, what is lisno? So typically we translate, and in modern Hebrew we certainly read it, le'ehov is to love, and lisno is to hate. However, there is lots of indication that in Tanakh, the meaning of lehov and snow is very much dependent on context. When it's an absolute and singular object of that emotion, it's love or hate, right? For, for instance, uh, At the very end of chapter 16 of Dvarim, the last pasuk, do not raise up a pillar that God hates. God, it's an abomination to God. Why? That's a piece by itself. But whenever lehovili snow is used in a relative context, somebody has two wives, somebody has two children, and one of them, they are ahuv, and one of his sanu, for instance, in dvarim chafalif, kitiana leish shte nashim, a man has two wives, ahat ahuva v'achat sinua, one beloved and one hated, so far for us to, far, it's very difficult for us to imagine a man is married to his wife and he hates his wife. The simple meaning of the text there is one is preferred and one is less preferred. And by the way, that's the story of Rachel Leah, which that Pasha is alluding to, because Leah is snua, and God sees she's snua. What does snua mean? She's not his favorite. God is in love with Rachel and he's stuck with Leah. It doesn't mean he hates her. She's not the favored one. So in the same way, when God says Asherahavta, it doesn't have to mean the one you love, meaning you only love one, but it would mean the one you love more, the one you prefer. In which case, this Midrash is powerful. Avram is answering saying, I don't have such divisions. I love both of my sons fully. I don't prefer one over the other. It's a very powerful statement 
when you compare it to, let's say, Yitzchak and Rivka and their sons, and you compare it to, say, Yaakov and his sons. In any case, Amarlo at Yitzchak. So in this sense, it, the, 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 the sense of this Midrash is that God is trying to tell Avram who to take, and Avram is sort of being evasive. And he's forcing God to say who he wants to take. Almost as if God doesn't want to say the name Yitzchak. So he says, Bincha, which one? Yichidcha, they're both Yachid, Ahav, I love them both. Okay, Yitzchak. And now this next paragraph, which I've highlighted in yellow, um, I believe is taking us in a different direction. V'lama lo gilalo miyad? Why didn't God just say Yitzchak at the beginning? Because it's as if, now in the first version, the first piece of the Midrash, uh, which, is, which is anonymous here, um, the, the, Epincha, Yichlicha, Shorahavta are all ambiguous. And Avram doesn't, Ki'ilu, as if Avram doesn't understand which son we're talking about until he says Yitzchak. This Midrash takes it differently. It says, Lama lo Why didn't God just tell him Yitzchak? In order to make him beloved in his eyes. In other words, by talking about Yitzchak, and in this, in this Midrashic take, Avram understands exactly who's being meant. And there's no response. Avram doesn't say, well, I love them both. They're both the only child of the mother. In this case, says, Bincha. And Avram says, oh, my son. You're only, oh, I love him so much. Oh, I love Yitzchak. Oh, and the passion grows with each phrase. Which would then give Avraham more reward for each word used to raise Avraham's love for Yitzchak so that this act is that more praiseworthy. And that, he Rabbi Yochanan, that follows the Midrash of Rabbi Yochanan on the beginning of Avraham's career. What does that mean, leave your land? That means your region. What's that? That's your neighborhood. What's that? That's your father's house. In other words, leave your country, leave your county, as it were, your neighborhood, leave your father's house. To the land that I'm going to show you. So here it's as if Rabbi Yochanan saying that up until this point, Lech Lecha Mi'artzacha could have meant, so go with your family somewhere else. But El Ha'artza Shareka then gives him the full statement, which is, you're going to go to a new land. Why didn't he tell him right away? Because by creating this anticipation and the suspense of where am I going and where am I leaving, and each phrase heightens that suspense, Therefore, he gets reward for every step he takes because every word that Hashem has used has raised his love for his homeland and for his father's house, etc., even greater. And so in this second Midrashic take that again begins in the yellow, a very different piece on Bincha Yechidcha Shorahavta. Avram understands and God understands that Avram understands. Everything's clear who we're talking about. And the reason he doesn't just say Yitzchak at the beginning is to increase Avraham's love for Yitzchak to make this act that more praiseworthy. In the first version of the, in the first Midrashic version of the conversation, there is some sort of an evasive action being taken by Avram, and Avram is, as it were, forcing God to say it out loud, to say Yitzchak out loud. Okay, let's see how the Rishonim now deal with this. We're going to actually start with the Geonim of Sadia Gaon, 
uh, arguably the first uh, commentator on Chumash and a comprehensive commentary, commentary in his tafsir, says as follows. And by the way, Rav Sadigon goes on, and we're going to later look on the, at the rest of this paragraph, which I didn't include here, which talks about the whole the whole um, uh, parsha of the of the Akedah. Kachna this is source four. It says, Ben, Yachid, Ahuv, and Yitzchak. Are the four terms. This is to show how much Avraham's obeisance to God went. Let's say somebody has a few sons. He gives one to God. And by the way, it doesn't have to be killing. It could be making him a priest, like, uh, like Elkanan Chana, giving Shmuel over. That's worship of God. That's why it said, your son. In other words, even if you had a lot of sons, give one son. And certainly if somebody has only one son, that's the only son of that mother, which means you're taking the son away from his mother, the only child. That's why he heightened the sense of Avraham's loyalty to God by heightening the price of this gift. And especially when he loves him very much. Now, by the way, you notice the Rav Sadia here is going in Rabbi Yochanan's direction, that each one of these phrases is there to intensify and highlight Avraham's love for Yitzchak and make that gift that much more precious, and not because I love them both and I have two sons, etc. So now, adding to that, what if this is a son who is destined for greatness and for prophecy. In other words, from the beginning, it's clear who he's talking about, Bincha. Yishmael's not in the picture. It's only Bincha is Yitzchak. But he's highlighting the fact, I want you to take your son. What does it mean to take any son and give him to God? And then Yechidcha, by the way, he's your only son, and you're taking, from your wife, you're taking the only child she has. And then Asher Hafti, you have great love for him, give him up anyways. And he's Yitzchak, who's destined for greatness. Give him up anyways. All four of these things coalesced in Avraham's test. Nonetheless, he fulfilled God's will. And so, Rav Sadi is clearly following, in a general sense, the second Midrashic direction of each phrase highlighting the passionate feelings that Avraham has for Yitzchak, and therefore heightening the 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 cost of this gift, as it were. Rashi does something interesting. Source five. Et bincha. Amar lo shnei banim yeshli. I have two sons. Amar yechidcha. So God said, your only son. Amar lo zeyachidimol vezeyachidimol. This is exactly the first midrash so far. Amar lo asher ahavta. Amar lo shneihem ani ohev. So he paraphrases it in the Hebrew. I love them both. Amar lo yitzchak. So he says, oh, yitzchak. Velama lo gilalo mitchila. Now notice, Rashi here, look back at the Midrash, is continuing exactly what the Midrash asked. Why didn't he tell him right away? And remember what the Midrash said, to heighten the passion of each... Rashi doesn't go in that direction. So that Avram wouldn't get confused and upset, and he would go crazy. So Rashi adopts... In the second half, the Midrash's position, which is in order to heighten the, the, the praise, to heighten his love for this mitzvah, and to heighten Avraham's reward for each word. That was the second half of the Midrash. 
But Rashi adds in a whole other point here, which is, if God said to him right away, take Yitzchak, Avram would lose it. That's the concern. Which means now there's a third take on this. Take number one is that Avram is playing evasive. Take number two is to heighten the passion. Take number three is that God starts off gently and so that Avram can get used to the idea before the final word Yitzchak comes where there's no escape, and by that time he's already ready. Interesting take of Rashi. The Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi. We're going to follow in chronological order. Staying in France, Rabbi David Kimchi, in Provence now. Kachnat Yechidcha. Now notice he quotes Yechidcha. Afapishu Yechidcha, meaning even though he's your only son. Ve'ahavta oto mi'od. You love him great, greatly. Shenolavacha mi'ishtacha mezinechem. He was born in your old age, in your wife's old age. Ve'zeu Yitzchak. So he's following the Pasuk. Even though it's hard for you because he's your son, your only son, and all the more so that he's beloved because he is the child of your old age. In other words, here the Radak takes a different take. Not Asherahavta because naturally a father loves his son, and not Asherahavta because you have great feelings for Yitzchak, qua Yitzchak, but rather you have great feelings for Yitzchak because he's the gift of your old age. And parents have a natural a uh, strong feeling for the child who was born in their old age and sort of redeemed their old age, as it were. And so the Radak has that take. The Ramban. Let's go to Spain, to Aragon, in uh, the 13th century. The Ramban says, Since he was the child of the wife, not of the mistress or the concubine, and since he's the only one who's called the seed, remember, we spoke about this last week, that when, uh, when Hashem told Avram that Sarah's going to have a child, and Avram laughed, he said, call him Yitzchak. Avram says, halavai, Yishmael should live. He said, okay, Yishmael will be fine, I'll take care of him. But Yitzchak, Yitzchak will be the future. And when Avram has to send Yishmael away, God says, yes, but Yitzchak is the future. Yitzchak's the Zerah. So, krao yechido. That's why, according to the Ramban, God calls Yitzchak yechido. Because even though he has other sons, Ishmael, and he will have other sons later, the only son he has who's really going to continue the tradition and be called proudly Ben Avraham is Yitzchak. And he has the take of the second part of the Midrash, which is this phrasing is there to intensify and make grander the mitzvah. Take your son, your only son that you love, Yitzchak, and bring him as an Allah before me. We're going to take a look at two 19th century commentators, jumping ahead by uh, approximately 600 years. Uh, first, Rabbi David Tzvi Hoffman, uh, who died actually in the 20th century. We're a little bit out of chronological order. Imam should be first. Et yechidcha, the Rabbi David Tzvi Hoffman says, Lo zeha ben hayachid. He's not your only son. He's not the Ben Hayachid just because he was the only one left after Yishmael was sent away. In other words, why is he called Yechidcha? Now, the Rodotzi often is going in a very different direction. He's not following the Midrash in either, in either direction, nor the root of the Rishonim earlier. He was quite an independent thinker. And he says, why is he called Yechidcha? Not because he's the only son left in the house after Yishmael is gone, but rather because he is the only son of your main wife. 
And then he adopts the Ramban's position is Yechidcha because Yitzchak was promised to be the future. And then Asher after Yitzchak Atarimim Rubim Ba'im Kedei Lavlit Et Godel HaMesima Shomeret Liot Mutalat Alav. This is a paraphrase of the Midrash, but in a in in, in an enlightening way. He says the many descriptors that are here are there to underscore the great challenge that is on Avraham. Remember, this is Avraham's son. He's his only son. It's his son he loves. It's Yitzchak. And by the way, Yitzchak is not just a name. Yitzchak is the son that Avraham laughed out of joy when he heard he was going to be born. And there was much laughter at his weaning party, as we read. So every word there is there to show, look how much Avraham is connected to him. Look at how challenging this act is. And we'll conclude with taking a look at the Malbim, or Meir Lebush and Yechiel Malbim, uh, lived in the 19th century in uh, Bohemia and uh, wrote a very popular commentary on all of Tanakh, uh, which is um, published with every standard mikrogdolot these days. Uh, and um, uh, also, among other things, he, he wrote a uh, commentary on the four chumashim that are halachic, Shmot, Vayikro, Bamidra, which incorporated the Midrash halacha, but in Breshid he wrote it as a straight-up commentary, and he says, Now the Malbim is, is an essayist, as you'll see. He said, what was the real test here? The real test was, how big was Avram's love for God? Is his love for God so great that all other loves that he have will be nullified relative to that or in the in the shadow of that love? Whatever something is more beloved to him, and he brings it to God and offers it to God, so the more that he thinks about how great Yitzchak is and how much he loves him, and nonetheless, he nullifies all of his great love for his son, powerful love for his son, in against that powerful love, passage from Shirashirim, fire and sparks of love for God, this will be the test of his love for God, meaning take that which you love the most, and nullify it relative to your love for God, that shows how great your love for God is. It doesn't show that you don't have love for Yitzchak, and that's what this pasuk is highlighting. You love him passionately, but you love God more. And therefore God commanded him, when you bring him as a korban, don't forget he's your son. Don't blindfold yourself and ignore it and start humming some tune to forget who he is. Take your son. Don't forget that he's your only son. Don't think, well, I've got another son, Yishmael. Now, this is the opposite of the Midrash, of the first Midrash. Instead of it being Yechidcha, and Avram says, well, I've got two, they're both Yechid. Instead, God is saying, Bincha. Don't forget he's your son. And don't forget he's your only son. Forget about Yishmael. This is your only son. And don't forget how much you love him. Alzamar Sharahavta. Now, what he's doing is he's taking the second half of the Midrash and he's putting a gorgeous spin on it. That each phrase is there not just to highlight the anticipation and the suspense and to give him more reward for each, for each word, but rather to 
internalize for Avram. Don't, when you're doing this, remember who you're doing this to. Remember how much you love him. That will make the gift that much greater. <clears throat> Don't forget all of his great things that he is a wise and righteous son. That's what he said. When you offer him up, Don't forget, remember very well all of the great things that he has. Nonetheless, offer him up with happiness. And rejoice that you have a real chosen offering that was sanctified from the womb, from its birth, the only son, the beloved son, to give him as an offering to God, that the love for God is equal to and outweighs really all other loves. It's like somebody giving a very precious uh, um, item to the king. The more he loves the kli, the more he loves this vessel, the more he prizes this possession. It's a fabulous insight. He says, the more that you love this item that you're giving to the king, the more your love for the king rises in that you gave it to him. If you think about this item and say, ah, oh, it's farfallen, i got to give it to the king, and you start denigrating it in your eyes and thinking of it as an, as an insignificant thing, then your feeling for the king goes down. But if, on the other hand, the whole time you recognize this is a gorgeous vase. This vase was in my family for five generations. This vase was used to hold flowers at my wedding, etc. And I'm giving it to the king. Ooh, I love this king so much. And that's how the Malbim explains these phrases, Bincha yechidcha asher ahavta et yitzchak. We're going to pause now, and uh, next week we're going to look at the issue of Eretz HaMoriah, where Eretz HaMoriah is. We're also going to take a look at a little bit more of Sadia Gaon's introduction to this whole piece. Uh, we're going to see some big surprises with Eretz HaMoriah, and we're going to have a little discussion about the Samaritan community. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful Shabbat. We'll see you next week. Shabbat Shalom.